0: Hi, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are jumping back into our Inner Workings of Worship series as we turn our attention to the topic of stewardship. To guide us through this topic, we are using Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, which is available in our bookstore. Additionally, we have small group resources and companion teachings available through RightNow Media. If you need help getting connected with that amazing resource, please contact Pastor Bob Mason or myself, Technical Manager Ed Shuley. We would be happy to help you out. To begin our series, our Senior Pastor, the Rev. Dr. Jared Ott, will be teaching on the treasure of giving. Thank you for listening. So, Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you can teach us in your word about what it looks like when it comes to our money and possessions. Father, we thank you for the fact that Scripture is just full of that. Lord, many of us deal with this and are going to be dealing with this for many years to come, how we handle our money, how we handle our possessions. So, Father, I pray that you impress upon us now this message, Father, that you speak to each and every one that's here. Father, I thank you for the fact that we can come and hear your word proclaimed, that we can sing your praises. Father, I pray that you speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips. My heart is your heart. And, Father, that we aren't just hearers of this word. We'll be doers of it as well. I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is uh, great to be here as we start a new series. You know, we are um, continuing our inner workings of worship, all the things that we do here on Sunday mornings. And one of the things we obviously do every Sunday is we we take up an offering. And that's not because we think it's just a nice thing to do. It's because that's what Scripture tells us to do. And we're going to look at that over the next uh, couple weeks. And that's why we were talking about this book, The Treasure Principle. Well, we want you to get your hands on this. Because what... Our hope is that it can be a joyful thing, not a doing it out of grudging or, or giving out of reluctance or fear. You know, one of the things when it comes to... <laughs> one of the things when it comes to this uh, stewardship, when we talk about stewardship, which we do every year, <laughs> I know what happens. People go, ugh, it's the money talk. I knew, it. I knew it. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. We haven't talked about money in a while, so I knew it was coming. Uh, and I know a lot of people get really frustrated when we talk, you know, they think, oh, that's that's all the church does, talk about money. I know Deb and I, um, my wife and I had uh, dinner with a family a few months back, and I remember talking with a gentleman who wasn't really involved in in church anywhere, and I said, uh, you know, I was encouraging him to come and be part of our church, and he said, "I I can't, because the only thing the church ever does is talk about money. I said, really? He said, yeah, the last church I went to, the pastor got up and talked about giving, talked about Money. And I said, Well, how many times you go to that church? He said, Once. I was like, Oh, well. And I said, What was the series? He said, Stewardship. I was like, Well, that's probably why he was talking about money that, that Sunday. But people get frustrated because they think that's all we do is we talk about money. In fact, it reminds me of the joke, you probably have heard of it, two men were marooned on a deserted island, and one man was pacing back and forth, terribly nervous and afraid, going, you know what, Uh, there's no hope, we're fearful, I'm going to die. So he was pacing back and forth, and the other guy who was marooned with him was was laying down with his feet up, Uh, his feet were crossed, and he was sunning himself. And the one guy was fearful. The first guy would say to the other guy, aren't you afraid that we're going to die here on this island, marooned? And the guy that was relaxed said, absolutely not. He goes, I make $100,000 a week, and I give faithfully every Sunday. My pastor will find me. (laughs) Then there's the other pastor (laughs) who... Then there's the other pastor who got in front of us, congregation, says, I, 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 listen, folks, I've got bad news, I've got good news, and I've got more bad news on the congregation side. Oh, so the bad news is this. The roof's leaking. We need a new one. And uh, the congregation side, all disappointed. He said, the good news is we have all the money to take care of it today. And the congregation cheered, and he goes, the bad news is it's still in your pockets. <laughs> you see... <laughs> That's what pe- I don't know if you can amen that. You guess you can. Um, it, the people think that's so all they do is talk about money. Why, do, why would we even have a, a series on stewardship? you got to realize, though, that 15%, 15% of everything that Christ ever talked about was about money or possessions. 15%. He talked about money and possessions more than heaven and hell combined. So this isn't us making this up. This isn't Pastor Jamie and I getting together and going, what should we talk about this week? Well, we haven't talked about money in a while. Let's talk about money. No, we do that because Scripture talks about it. That's what Christ talks about. And one of the things that we're going to realize, obviously, is you. many of you know already today, is we can't take it with us. You know, many of us live life like we're acquiring wealth, like we want to take it with us. We're storing it up. And obviously, as we looked at that verse, the treasure principle, you can't take it with you. Some of us don't have that thought process. In fact, I knew of a <laughs> my husband and wife. The man um, thought he could take it with him. So every time he got paid, what he would do is he would take a $100 bill and stick it under his mattress. He did that for years. And then finally, uh, on his deathbed, he leaned over his wife and said, Please grant me the, my one final wish uh, that you bury me with my money. I want you to put all that money in my casket so that I can take it with me. So the, after he died, the wife uh, granted his wish. She, she got all the money and put it in the bank and then wrote a check and then <laughs> stuck it on the man's chest and said, here's your money. Uh, let me know when you're going to cash it because I'm going to borrow it until then. <laughs> Can't take it with us. Can't take it with us. That's why the key verse of this whole thing is Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's the key for today. That's my one question for you. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The question is, is where is your heart? You know, we don't a lot of people like to avoid this passage of bachelor's of money. We're not gonna avoid it. We're, it's God's word. And so we go, what does that look like? What does it look like to store up treasures in heaven? I don't, I don't under, how does that even work? What, what, what does that even mean? Well, if we get this book, one of the great things that uh, uh, Randy Alcorn does in the very first, uh, very first page of this book, he talks about buried treasure. He tells the story of a man who was walking alone a hot afternoon, his shoulders were stooped, sandals covered in dirt, and his tunic was stained with sweat. He doesn't stop to rest. He's pressing on to, to get to his business in the city. He veers off into a field because it's a shortcut. He thought, the owner won't mind. Travelers are permitted to this courtesy. The field is uneven. To keep his balance, he thrusts his staff in the dirt. Thunk. His staff strikes something hard. He stops, wipes his brow, and pokes the end. Thump. It's something under there, and it's not a rock, he thought. The weary traveler tells himself he can't afford to linger, but his curiosity gets to him. So he drops down and starts digging in the ground. A few minutes later, he uncovers it. A huge chest. That's been there for decades. His heart races as he opens it up, full of gold coins, jewelry, precious stones of every color, a treasure more valuable than anything he's ever imagined. Handshaking, the traveler inspects the coins. They're issued in Rome over seven years ago. Some wealthy man, he thought, must have buried this and then died. But the current landowner probably doesn't realize it's there. So he closes the lid, he buries the chest, and marks the spot. He turned around and heads home full of joy. What a find. Unbelievable, he thought. I've got to have that treasure, but I can't just take it. That would be stealing, he thought. But how can I afford to buy it? I'll sell my farms. I'll sell everything I have, my tools, my prize oxen. Yes, I'll sell everything. That should be enough. You know, from the moment of that discovery, Randy Alcorn talks about that man's life changed, and his whole mindset changes. That's what scripture talks about, talking about treasures, treasures in heaven. Matthew thirteen forty three says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then his joy, hidden his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Some of us, we will not pity that man. You know, it's, we're not going to pity him going, oh, man, that guy's going to be broke. He's going to sell everything he had. We don't pity him because we know he's going to be wealthy beyond measure. The question is, if you knew that, if you found that treasure, if you knew that treasure was there, would you do the same? Would you do the same? That's the question. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be awesome. The question here is, why does, you know, we talk about all these scriptures and treasures in heaven and buried treasure and and laying up treasures in heaven. And why does Jesus talk so much, 15% of everything he talks about, why does he talk so much about money and possessions? Is it because Jesus was a wealthy man? No. Because Jesus recognized that you can't separate your faith and your finances. Many of us think we can do that. We can separate our faith and finances. We can just pull them apart. That whatever we do with our money, how we live our life, the things we buy, the things we invest in, we can just separate that out. And it makes sense. And we go, that's, that's, that's my finances. My faith is something different. And what Jesus is saying, no, they're absolutely tied together. Absolutely tied together. What we do in our life, our money, our possessions, they're all tied together. And we see this with the rich young ruler that Jamie just read. The rich young ruler thought the same thing. He was a wealthy, wealthy guy. The question is, is, what are you going to do with that? Look at, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're in, we're in Matthew 19, uh, verse 16. First, there's a request of Jesus, isn't there? The request of Jesus. This guy comes up and he says, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? I love this because we, we, we sometimes look at Scripture and go, man, that happened so many years ago. It's not even relevant to today. How many people in this life are asking the same exact question? People, go, people this day go, what do I need to do to get eternal life? What must I do so that I can be in heaven when I die? People are asking the same question that this guy asked a couple thousand years ago. Same exact question. What good things must I do to get eternal life? We're constantly asking that. Some of you are here this morning thinking, I, oh, hopefully I'm here in church because these are the good things that I can do. And if the good just outweighs the bad, then I'm okay. We look at our culture around us. You know, it's no surprise when you look at other religions and other things that people do. They are striving to do good things, do certain deeds, have certain rituals, pray so many times, do so many different things so that, so that at the end of their life, they're hoping that the that, that good outweighs the bad. So that when they die, that they can have eternal life. So that they can be in, in paradise or, or heaven. People ask that question all the time. People are asking that question today. And this guy was the same one. The problem is, is this guy was so full of pride that he didn't recognize that his whole life was a, was a failure, uh, was, was, was a failure to what God expected of him. Because what he was doing, he was looking at his own needs, his own longings. What, what other things could I do? He wasn't looking at what Jesus could do for him. And that's what we're, some of us are doing here today. We come in, we go, I'm doing the good things. I'm living a good life. I, I don't cheat on my spouse. I, I come to church. Maybe you, you tithe. I pray. Or I read my Bible. I'm doing the good things. I hope that's enough. This is what this guy was thinking the same way. No different. No different at all. The guy was thinking the same way. Are you thinking that this morning? Then that's the request. What must I do? Then, there, then we see the response of Jesus. I love his response. He said, there's only one that's good. He says, if you want to enter life, keep, enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? Which ones, he said? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I kept, the man said. What still do I lack? So what Jesus does, this guy, he kno- Jesus, <laughs> Jesus knows this guy. He knows he's been trying to follow the law, the Ten Commandments, okay? That's what people did back then. They follow the Ten Commandments. So what Jesus does is he takes the lesser, the, oh, I shouldn't say lesser, the easier of the Ten Commandments and asks them, did you keep these? I always think it's striking that Jesus doesn't talk about the first five. He talks about the second five. The second five actually are possible to keep. Difficult, but possible to keep. You should not commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. You, you could go through life and go, I've met every one of those. I've never, I've never done those. Jesus leaves off the first five, which are a lot harder. No other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I am the Lord your God. No other gods before me. You shall make your not, uh, not make for yourself any graven image. Those are a lot harder, aren't they? To say, you know what? There's only one Lord in my life. There's only one master in my life. And that's my heavenly Father. That's a lot harder. So Jesus starts with these. He challenges them with the, the least possible. Because he understands that this man is just trying to follow the law. Just trying to be good. What other things could I add? He's trying to be perfect. Jesus is saying, listen, we all are sinners. We all fall short. That's what Scripture talks about. We all fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can look at yourself right now and go, you know what, of all the Ten Commandments, I yeah, maybe I don't. Totally love my neighbor as myself. Maybe I've put some other things before God in my life. Maybe I, maybe I haven't been totally honest. And you go, you know what? I, I'm not perfect. You're absolutely right. You're not perfect. I don't think there's one person in here right now, if I ask the question, are you perfect, that you would stand up? And if you did, I'd say, well, there you go. There's your one thing that you did wrong. <laughs> We're not perfect, are we? none of us are none of us can be and you know what because god is so perfect he can't be around sin and so because of our sin the wages of sin is death we can't be near god so so we couldn't we be eternally separated from him that's why he sent his own son to die in our place jesus christ died on the cross for us and that's what jesus is telling him listen you could try to be perfect but you're not you're not you're not perfect So the guy goes, what more do I lack? Jesus says, you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Understand, church, that this has less to do about the money and possessions and more about the heart of this man. Because if he truly had a heart to follow after Jesus, he would sell his possessions. Because it's evidence that he put the Lord first and foremost in his life. That would be the sign. Understand that if he did that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't say that he saved because he did that. It would be evidence that he was, that he put the Lord Jesus first and first and foremost in his life. Jesus is really saying, listen, who are you really going to follow in life? you going to follow me or are you going to follow your money? I think it's tragic because it's it's not that this man could not do that. I mean, think about it. He he literally could actually have taken all his possessions, sold it. There you go. It's not that he could not. It's that he would not. So the question for you is, where is your heart? What's the Lord in your life? Who are you following? What evidence is there? You know, this... It's interesting, this passage is actually, uh, this, uh, this story, this narrative is actually in some other Gospels. And in Mark's Gospel, it has the same exact narrative, except in Mark ten twenty one, there's one other phrase in there. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. The guy didn't have a relationship with him yet, but he looked at him and loved him. Right now, I'm telling you right now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's looking at you, he loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's the honest truth. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. Some of us feel so unloved. We feel so unworthy, so unwanted. But Jesus looks at you today, and he loves you, just like he looked at that man. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. But the Lord can't do anything with a life not surrendered to him except to condemn it. And so what happens? Look at verse 22. It says, the young man heard this. He went away sad because he had great wealth. How tragic. The guy comes. (laughs) He obviously has a lot of money. He's a rich guy, but he knows he doesn't have eternal life. So he's like, what else do I need to do? He's obviously kind of frustrated because he doesn't have eternal life. That's the one thing he wants. He comes in frustrated and he leaves sad because he can't do it he lit, he he it's and again it's not that he could not do it it's that he would not do it church i would want nothing more for you to come in and leave here knowing that you have a relationship with jesus christ it has nothing to do with the money has nothing to do with your possessions has nothing to do with giving has everything to do with your heart that's why verse 23 Goes on to say that Jesus says, I, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, one of the things I'm finding is as people get older, and the more they have, the harder it is to let go. And this is kind of a sidebar, uh, side note. Parents, talk to your kids about giving. Talk to your kids about giving. It doesn't come hard for me, because I know my parents talked to me about it when I was a kid, and we've, I've been doing it since I was little. But, the, but if, we, if we don't get into the practice of it, it gets so hard. Parents, you've got to talk to your kids about it. You've got to start encouraging your kids to do that. And you've got to do it yourself so they can see it. Because oftentimes, the more we have, the more we want to hold on to it. And I don't know what happens to us. I don't know what happens to society that the more we save, the more we want to have, the more we, the more, the nicer house we have, the nicer we want to keep it, and the nicer car we have, the more we want to have it, the more security we need. That's why I think Jesus is saying it's harder for a rich man to enter than, than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle because it's really difficult. In fact, uh, I love the story. Charles Spurgeon is a great preacher. He, uh, tells the story of how uh, a wealthy man once invited him to come preach in his country church to help raise, fu- uh, raise funds to pay off their debt. And so the man uh, writes to Charles Spurgeon. He says, you're free to use my country home, uh, my town home, or my seaside home when you come. Spurgeon wrote back and declined said, sell one of the homes and pay back the debt yourself. Why? Because it's harder. We have more. We want more. But what's great about it is, is that it's not—it's hard, but it's not impossible. It's only possible with God, right? That's what the scripture says. It's only possible with God. It takes a radical transformation in your life. And we see that radical transformation when we, when we think of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little... I'm not going to sing that song, but you know that Zacchaeus was a wee little guy. And apparently he was really short. And he climbed a sycamore tree. Okay, if you remember the story in Luke. And so Zacchaeus climbs this, he's, a, he's the chief tax collector. He's probably the wealthiest in the whole land. He climbs the sycamore tree just to see Jesus. He just wants to get a glimpse. Jesus says basically the same thing to Zacchaeus, except Zacchaeus has a total transformation, and the response is totally different. He says, you know what? I'm going to go sell half my possessions, give to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody, which as a chief tax collector, he's probably cheated everybody, he's going to pay back four times the amount. And so the Lord looks at him and he says, he says, uh, um, he says, today salvation has come to this house. It wasn't because Zacchaeus actually gave the money away that saved him. It was evidence that he actually realized that Jesus was the Lord in his life and he was storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth. That's what saved him. He had a relationship with Jesus. He understood it. Had nothing to do with his finances. Had everything to do with his heart. Same two people, two different outcomes. The question is, is where's your heart? Where's your heart? You see, when it comes, to, it comes to this book, I'm going to encourage you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would not get this book. Because it's, going to be the, it's, it's just going to be a frustration to you. It's going to be a frustration to you. You're going to look at this and you go, the joy, unlocking the uh, secrets of joyful giving. I'm no way. I'm going to give reluctantly, or I'm going to give because I have to. I'm going to give because I feel like it's going to earn me something. It has nothing to do with it. The first part of this, if you want to be joyful in your giving, you've got to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it won't even happen. Don't even get the book. But what's great is is that when you look at unlocking the secrets of joyful giving, that giving can be joyful, can't it? We can be joyful in our giving. You're going to hear from Pastor Jamie next week and then John about what it looks like to have, be joyful in our giving. We want, to be, we want to be able to come in and go, you know what, everything I have is, is Lord's anyway, I want to give joyfully. We all want to do that. We don't want to give reluctantly. We don't want to give out of, out of uh, feel like it's a necessity or we feel like we're earning something. We want to do it joyfully, but it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So my first question to you is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you coming in here just like the, that rich young ruler and going, you know what, I really don't know how to have eternal life. I have absolutely no idea. And you may not verbally ask what you're thinking. Of. You're thinking the same thing. You go, man, I'm, you're like that guy in class that didn't want to ask the question, but somebody else did and You go, thank goodness he answered, asked the question, didn't he? What do I do to have eternal life? You may be asking the same exact question. And you may be thinking, well, I guess it's about selling my possessions and and doing all that. No, it's about a transformation in your own life that you're going to say, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm in need of a Savior. So dear Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive my sins. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. In that way, you're building up treasures in heaven. So that's the first question, is do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I would want nothing more than you walk out of here knowing full well that the, question to the, the answer to that question is, how do I have eternal life? It's through Jesus Christ. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works, it says. It's by grace you're saved through faith, not of works, so that no man can boast. Can you imagine if it was about how much we had? Uh, we would have the biggest houses in the world, all of us, and we'd be totally gloating it. "Hey, look at my car, look what I've done. Look what I've accumulated. It has nothing to do with it. It's all about grace. It's all about saying, "You know what? I'm in need of a savior. I can't do it on my own. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Christ has done for me. Are you there, Church? Have you made that commitment? And secondly, is where's your treasure at? When you look at your finances, when you look at what you're spending, when you look at how you're living your life, what does it say about where your heart is? Because if it's true what the Scripture says, and it is, where your treasure is, there is your heart be also, what are your treasures saying about where your heart is? That's the question for the week. That's my question, for you to look at that and and really evaluate that as you look at your bank accounts, your, your checking statements, go, you know, where, if someone looked at this, after I died, where would they say my heart actually is? You know, as the band comes, that, that's what we're going to focus on, is about the heart. Those are the two questions I leave you with. Do you have a relationship with Jesus, first off? And if so, what do your finances say about where your heart is? You know, one of the things that Jesus always talks about is, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Okay, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know what the issue is, is that oftentimes we, we the treasures on earth don't really fill us, do they? They don't really give us a whole lot of joy. This man had the same thing. He was looking for eternal life, something that he didn't have, and he still walked away sad. You know, the more and more I talk with couples, the more and more I meet with them in my office, it's obviously clear that finances are a big issue with them. Maybe finances are a big issue for you. Maybe you're not even married, but finances are a big issue for you. You know, we all look at finances differently. That's what I like to tell couples. And the more we can understand it, the better it is. But a lot of us look at our finances and go, you know what, I want to have money because it gives me so much security because I'm so fearful of what's going to happen in the culture around I'm afraid because I might lose my job. I'm afraid because i got to provide for my family. And yes, you've got to provide for your family. But some of us live in so much fear that the more they have, the better they feel. And that's what they think brings them joy. Then there's other couples, maybe the spouse, who are saying, no, it's not about security, it's about entertainment. It's about... Uh, living life and having fun because maybe your job is so bad that you want to you just get away on the weekends. You want to use that money for, for alcohol or whatever it is and you want to live that life. You want to have that joy and that brings you joy. Or maybe when you think of money, you think of money as, as your identity that, that people see me differently. What if they don't see me with a nice car? What if they don't see me with a nice house? What if they don't see me in nice clothes? There goes my identity. You can look at money any way you want. But what I'm fascinated about is that the thing that grips us most is the money, and that we often hold on to that even more, don't we? And I think what Jesus is trying to say to us is, hey, listen, we gotta, you got to loosen your grip a little bit here. Because you think all those things, the security or the identity or the, the looks or the joy, that's what's really going to bring you joy in life, and he's saying it's not. Because it's only temporary we go, God, I can't let go of that. I can't, I can't give that back. Are you kidding me? I can't let that go. And there we are, desperately clutching the things that cause us the most grief, don't we? Because the more we have, the more we want to have. And I think what Jesus is saying here is saying, listen, your joy is really in heaven. The joy isn't in the money. The joy isn't in the possessions. So you've got to let go. You've got to at your grip. And it's not about selling everything you have. It's about trusting him, knowing that, you know what? He's going to take care of my needs. He's the one I'm going to find security in. He's the one I'm going to find my identity. He's the one that's going to bring me more joy. Where's your heart at, church? My hope, my prayer as we go throughout this series is that we can come in and give joyfully. Joyfully. Because our joy is found in him. And my hope and prayer is that if there's anybody in here who may have never made that commitment, and thinking that they can earn it on their own, that they walk out of here with so much joy knowing that they have the secrets to eternal life and its relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for the fact that you teach us so much in your word, Father. And it's not really about about our money, or possessions, Father. It's really about our heart. So, Father, I pray that you be with each and every person here. Maybe there's somebody in here, Father, who who came in asking the same question that rich young ruler is asking. How do I have eternal life? Father, I pray that they feel your presence right now, knowing that you're looking at them like you're looking at that man saying, I love you. I love you. It's not about what you're going to do. It's about what I've done for you. I've died for you. And all I'm asking you is to put put me first in your life. So if that's you, church, see yourself sitting in front of our Father, knowing that he loves you. The Lord Jesus is looking at you and saying, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. It's not about your money. It's not about the possessions. It's about a relationship. And it's as simple as praying a prayer, saying, dear Lord Jesus, I understand that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I want you to come in and forgive me. I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for saving Thank you that I can have a relationship with you now here on earth and in heaven after I die. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. And Father, I pray that you be with each and every person who might have prayed that prayer, that they feel that, that they feel that they can just walk away knowing it's by grace, not by works. And Father, for the rest of us, I pray that as we look at our own lives this next week or two, Father, that some of us need to reevaluate things, what really money means to us. Father, I pray that you speak to each and every one of us in your own way, knowing that you love us that you care for us. And Father, thank you for the fact that our joy is found in you as we store up treasures in heaven. I ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.